Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning and welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my co-host Rodney is on the couch taking a nap. I'm so excited to start this new podcast project because for the longest time, I wanted to have my own talk show. I grew up watching guys like Johnny Carson, David Letterman, and Jay Leno host the late night talk shows and having a blast by being funny, getting to meet celebrities, and talk to them about their movie projects, TV projects, sports, and music. That's something I aspire to do, and with podcasts, I'm able to do that now. I'm really excited about the project and living the dream because I get to share my experiences with you about how I live my life and live what I consider my dream. I'm also going to have guests from time to time that they're going to share their experiences, whether it's relating to sports careers or business or whatever, and how they live their dream as well. The purpose of this is to have a lot of fun, hopefully motivate the people in the audience to live their dream, and to perhaps make people in the audience realize that the life they have It is a really good life, and they actually are living the dream, and that they need to appreciate that as they go forward. So we're going to start by giving a little bit of background information on me, and then we're going to go into a couple of skits that I hope you're going to find funny and enjoy as we uh, do this first podcast. For me, I'm uh, 42 years old. I'm originally from Paducah, Kentucky, which is a small town in western Kentucky. It is two hours north of Nashville, Tennessee. It's three hours west of Louisville and three hours east of St. Louis. I grew up there and lived in Paducah until October of 1991. At that time, my mom remarried, and we moved to the adjacent county called Marshall County. And growing up in Paducah was really great because my grandparents on my mom's side lived in Paducah, and then my grandparents on my dad's side, they lived in an adjacent county about 50 minutes away called Grays County. But I was very close with my family. We were really focused on Kentucky basketball growing up, which is huge in uh, the state of Kentucky. And I'd say probably 80% of the people in Kentucky are Kentucky Wildcat basketball fans. It's it's uh, probably the most important thing in the state. And uh, in that section of Kentucky, it's St. Louis Cardinal baseball territory. So growing up, Kentucky basketball and Cardinal baseball were two of my biggest fun things, aside from playing sports myself. I grew up watching wrestling back in the 80s, too, which that was a time when wrestling was like really, really awesome, when you had guys like Hulk Hogan starting in the WWF at the time, now WWE, and you had the NWA and guys like Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA, and that was when um, wrestling was just booming, the whole rock and jock thing, and you had Roddy Roddy Piper and WrestleMania starting and all that, and it was a really great time growing up, and the music was good back then, too, so you had bands like... Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue, all that kind of stuff, which I personally enjoyed. But Paducah is a really great town. For those of you who haven't visited, you should definitely put it on your places to go and visit. There's a lot to do there, even though it's a small town. We're actually known for the National Quilt Museum, which I've actually never been, being a resident of Paducah for so many years. But it's a huge thing for the city. There's also a lot to do in nature in that area. You've got a lot of parks. You've got uh, the lake areas and stuff like that, which is really big for tourism. So it's a cool place. And if I um, ever move back to Kentucky again, I would definitely live in that part of the state. When I moved to Marshall County, that was actually a big change for me because I grew up in the community of Paducah called Reedland. And I had gone to school with my classmates since kindergarten, so I had a lot of very close friends, and I played sports. 
so the change in the middle of your freshman year was pretty dramatic. Uh, luckily, I knew a lot of people in Marshall County through uh, having played baseball there for several years, also knowing guys from playing soccer. I knew some people from church who were at the school too. So the adjustment was not as bad since I knew some people, but it was quite a change because when I went in as a freshman, I was basically taking a lot of classes with the 10th graders because in Reedland, in our 8th grade, we were taking a lot of the upper level math and like algebra and different things like that that the Marshall County students were taking in ninth grade. And so I remember going into my first few classes and a lot of people just kind of really not liking me because I was this ninth grader taking these 10th grade classes. But at the end of the day, it all worked out. And I liked the how the situation uh, played itself out because by me taking a lot of classes with both the ninth grade and 10th graders at Marshall County, I made more friends. And so I had as many friends in the class above me as I did in my own class. Marshall County is a really great area to live as well. Like Paducah, it's in the Bible Belt. It's very family-oriented. The lake industry is very huge there with uh, fishing tournaments and camping. And it is big in basketball, which I personally love. So I was always able to talk basketball and meet friends through talking basketball or baseball. I really enjoyed my time there, and I have friends from both Reedland and Marshall County that are still good friends to this day. Once I finished high school, I went to a big regional university called Murray State, which is also in western Kentucky. It has about 10,000 students. The saying that, that college is the best four years of your life is definitely true. I had a great time at Murray State. Luckily, by going to, to Murray, a lot of my classmates from Marshall County and several from Reedland were also there, so I had uh, friends going into the university, which was, was good for me because I like to be in places where I know a lot of people. It makes me feel more comfortable. The good thing, too, with Murray State is a lot of kids from the surrounding counties, like your Grays County, Mayfield area of Murray, where Murray State's located in Callaway County, and the surrounding counties were there. And so it gave you a really good opportunity to meet people in the surrounding counties, which is good for um networking, and also just being a good, well-rounded person. I felt like in at Murray State, it was pretty laid back. You were able to uh, meet people who weren't like very stuck up and arrogant, which you're going to have that stuck up and arrogant uh, in any town you live in or any territory you go. I just really enjoyed it. I had a lot of very close-knit friends in my dorm. Um, I lived in the dorm called Hart Hall. Back when I was there, they had transitioned to this thing called the residential um college system and so each dorm was kind of like its own family and I got to be the athletic director and run the sports program there for three years and I I personally enjoyed it it was one of my favorite things because I got to basically kind of like be a coach and be a player and so I got to help organize the basketball teams and the baseball team or softball teams flag football all that one of the things that I enjoyed the most out of that is I had some really close friends that we considered ourselves to be heart B because we were sort of the B team because like for basketball a lot of the, the football players in the off season they would be the basketball guys because they were the better athletes but I always remember heart B because we won a lot of titles in intramural sports when a lot of people didn't expect us to win and especially in flag football there was a year where nobody expected us at all to um, to be very good and we ended up going 10-0 and in that undefeated season. My next-door neighbor was a quarterback, and he was just a 
phenomenal athlete. I mean, he was one of these guys. He was a great quarterback, and he just made plays happen. And we, but we had a a well-oiled machine where it was not just one person who made that team a success, but it was it was everybody because we had uh, really good receivers and we had guys on our offensive line who had to protect our our quarterback. I was a defensive end because I was fast. And so uh, everybody did their part, and that was what was such a, a success for Hart B, was that we were this collective unit that ended up going 10-0, and win our division, and in my opinion, we should have won the whole thing. I mean, we ended up losing the semifinals to, it was this team called the Dead, which they'd won it, I think, like three years in a row, and we gave them all they wanted, and to be honest, we got some bad calls in the game, and we ended up losing, and I had some friends who were on that team, and... Um, we had a class the night after, and he came up to me the next day, and he's like, he's like, we got away with one. He knew that they, they shouldn't have won, but I was so thrilled with that team. I think that's one of the things that's so important about with college is you build these lifelong bonds with people that is very, very important and uh, continue on into your adulthood. One of the other things I really enjoyed about Murray State was being a part of student government. They had an organization called the Student Government Association, and I got to... Uh, be a senator there for I think it was two or three years but that was great because the Student Government Association was basically a lot of people who were really important people on campus they were leaders in their fraternities or sororities or different organizations and for me I always wanted to be well liked I wanted to be popular and it was important to in my opinion to be associated with those people we got to do a lot of really cool projects, too. Like, we had a group called the University Campus Board. They put events together, and that's where I got my first taste of, like, helping with concerts and events. And I remember back in the day, we had, like, Dave Matthews there and Carrot Top and different actors or musicians come in, and it was a lot of fun. I really developed a liking to putting the events together, and that's something that basically led to me doing events as I got into my adulthood. Murray State was great. They're under a new president named Dr. Bob Jackson, who I think is doing a fantastic job from what I see on social media. I actually worked for him when he was running for state senator, and he's a Murray State alum, so I think he brings some enthusiasm to the university that's very important. And I think Murray State has has always been a really good university, but I think their trajectory is definitely on the up with Dr. Jackson in control. So after finishing at uh, Murray State, I um, went to law school. I went to University of Louisville, which some of you may be saying, you're a huge Kentucky fan. How did you end up going to Louisville? Well, here's the answer. So I applied to a University of Kentucky because ultimately going to UK was a big dream of mine. I ended up going to Murray State for undergrad because I got scholarships that I just couldn't turn down at Murray and so I applied to UK, and I went up there for a basketball game with my grandparents, and I toured the law school. I thought the law school was cool, and I was dead set on going to UK. No questions asked. And uh, so I met with the director of admissions, and she said, well, you know, your grades are excellent from college. Your LSAT score is really good. We'd love to have you here. But, you know, there are a lot of people that want to come to UK, and if you decide not to come, well, that's okay, because there are a lot of people that want to come here. And I'm like, well, what kind of recruiting pitch is that? I mean, I was the easiest recruit they were going to have, so I just walked away feeling unwanted. So I ended up getting into UK, as well as Louisville, but Louisville's just made me feel more wanted with like more follow-up correspondence, and their scholarship offer was much better. 
So, you know, after consulting with some of the lawyers I'd interned with in Paducah, we decided I, I should end up going to Louisville because the schools were ranked about the same, and I could still be a Kentucky fan. So I ended up going to Louisville for law school. That was for three years, and it was great. I had some professors that I really enjoyed. They made you feel welcome. I had some tough ones, too. There's no doubt about that, but I always felt it was a it was a good fit for me. The professors had a good open-door policy, and I made a lot of really good friends there. I had some uh, really close friends my last year where we lived in the same complex, and we kind of did everything to together and played a lot of softball and went to the gym together and, and stuff, and that was really important. So like through high school, college, and law school, I made some lifelong friends there too. But after I graduated from law school in Louisville, I took the Kentucky Bar, but I did kind of a surprise to my family where I uh, actually ended up going to Miami, to the University of Miami for a Master's of Law program because I heard about this program where they focus on real estate development. And through my internships at law firms in Paducah, I really developed a liking for real estate law. Basically what real estate lawyers do is they help people buy and sell property. And so when I was an intern in Paducah, I learned how to do title searches. And for people who aren't that familiar with the law, anytime you're buying a house or any kind of commercial real estate property, you always have a title search done because you want to make sure that the person who's going to sell you the property actually owns the property and you want to know what kind of liens are on the property. So like mortgages or any mechanics liens, tax liens, things like that. Because when you buy the property, you want to make sure that you buy it and there are no liens that are unsatisfied after closing. And plus they do things like if people are building um, like hotels or condo buildings or whatever, they help negotiate the construction contracts and things like that. I really developed a liking for that because I knew I didn't want to be like a criminal lawyer as far as a prosecutor or a defense attorney. And I really didn't want to do uh, divorces and stuff because I just felt that, that would not bring the enjoyment I would want out of out of my life. So I ended up going to Miami, and this was in this 2003, and it was a huge change. The only thing I knew about Miami when I got accepted to the program down there, I knew about the Miami Heat, of course, because I'm a, I was a sports fan. So I knew Pat Riley was the a former UK guy, was the coach at in Miami, and they just drafted Dwayne Wade, and I was really excited about that because I'd watched him play a lot of college basketball since he played for Marquette. Marquette was in the same basketball conference as Louisville, and also Dwayne Wade was on that Marquette team that beat Kentucky in the Elite Eight in uh, 2003 when Kentucky had a really good team. But, I mean, basically Dwayne Wade just dominated that game. So I was excited to have Dwayne Wade down there. You know, Miami has a really a lot to offer for uh, someone going down there in their mid-20s. The weather's fantastic down there. There are a lot of good-looking people. So, you know, if you're a single person, that's that's a very good thing. But it was a big culture shock because it's not Paducah. It's not Kentucky. There's a lot of diversity there with a lot of different cultures, whether it be people of Cuban descent or you've got Venezuelan, Colombians, and you got white people, black people. So it's a little bit of a mix of everything down there. But there's always a lot to do, not just the beaches, but... There are a lot of social places to go. Miami's very big on appearance. You got to look good. You got to dress good. You need to be in shape. That always motivated me to try to do the best I could. I could in those categories. It's all about image down there. You know, you've got to look good, feel good, drive the right cars, be flashy. But on the other hand, for somebody like me, I mean, you to a degree. But after a while, I'm like, you know what? 
I'm perfectly fine like just going to the gym and hanging out in my my t-shirt and shorts and and that kind of stuff. There's a place for people like that in Miami too. So I finished the master's program there. It was really awesome because it basically taught you how to not only be a real estate lawyer but also a real estate developer in case you wanted to go into developing projects like condos or hotels or or even if you wanted to be a realtor. It was a great program and once I finished uh, that program I passed the Florida bar exam and then I got hired by a law firm called Gunster Oakley which was a big regional law firm down there. I was in the, the division that we did a lot of high-end condo projects so we represented the developers who'd buy land and build these condo buildings and we'd have to draft the documents to basically create the condominium and work on closings and we also did a lot of hotel projects that were what we call hotel condos where people would have the opportunity to buy a condo unit that would be a hotel room and they could rent it out as part of the hotel program but yet the project also uh, operates as a hotel so we had a lot of projects in Miami and Fort Lauderdale that were really good learning experiences for me I uh, moved from Miami to West Palm Beach for about a year because I had to work on a couple of big condo closing projects in Gunster's West Palm office and that was uh, in the Florida boom with real estate, and so it was fast and furious. I mean, being a young lawyer and getting that experience was really good because whatever you do as a lawyer, you're always going to have people come to you and ask advice about how to buy a home or this or that, and so it's good to have that kind of a knowledge base. But then I had a chance to go back to Miami, and I changed law firms. I went to the law firm of Shutson Bowen, which is another big regional law firm in South Florida and I went to their Miami office and there I still focused on doing a lot of high-end residential projects but it wasn't just condos also just a lot of straight hotels including a lot of stuff in the Florida Keys which were pretty exciting deals and just good commercial real estate deals too whether people were buying apartment complexes or office buildings things of that nature or even in Miami I mean we did a lot of high-end residential closings where you have people buying these homes for a million dollars, ten million dollars. We had one that was, I think the most expensive home I closed, I think it was like eighteen million dollars. It was to a a very famous musician who I, I can't name, but it was awesome to do that. And um, I also got the opportunity to do some real estate work for um, one of my favorite basketball coaches growing up, Rick Patino. So I was really excited about that. So I was with the, the Shutson Bowen Law Firm for about nine years. For those in the audience who are lawyers or married to a lawyer or dating a lawyer or have a lawyer who's a, a family member, you know that being a lawyer is a very tough career. It's very demanding. Lawyers are basically measured on two things, in my opinion. It's the billable hours you do, which is the number of hours that you bill to a client, and how much money you collect from your clients. And so as an associate, your goal is to meet this 2,000 billable hour requirement a year. 2,000 is what applied in South Florida at most of the big law firms. I know um, my friends in, at the big firms in Kentucky and like in Nashville, I think that billable hour requirement is like 1,800, which is big difference. I mean, it's that 200 hours is huge because that's a month worth of billing. So you always got to struggle to meet that 2,000 hours, which some years it wasn't a problem, especially when I was doing those big condo closing projects. But when you had the real estate downturn, it was harder to meet. And so if you don't meet that billable hour requirement, you don't get your bonus. And that bonus was very important because it could be anywhere from 
$10,000 to $30,000 or $40,000. And so it's really important to be able to meet that. And sometimes you meet it easily, but sometimes you were working until the very last day of the year closing deals to get there. And I made sacrifices that, you know, I didn't take the vacations that I, I would like to have taken. I didn't have the spare time to devote to playing as much sports as I'd like to or dating relationships or whatever. I, I was kind of married to my job. And I kind of reached a point in my career where I was like, this is not the kind of life I want to continue leading. At the end of the day, if you're known as a lawyer who drafts a, a really great real estate contract, is that something that's really that impressive? And I, the answer to that question for me was no. I mean, obviously you want to be a good lawyer and do a good job, but it's like, you know, I wanted to live my life and live my dream. And I had goals and aspirations that I wanted to achieve that I couldn't when I was working at a, a law firm that basically I was I was married to. That scenario comes up for lawyers, whether you're in a big law firm or a small law firm. That wasn't anything negative toward the particular law firms I worked for. Actually, I, I worked for a lot of really good people. I learned a lot and growed a lot as a lawyer. So I always had really good colleagues there. It's just the billable hour thing is the nature of the beast. It's what you sign up for when you uh, become a lawyer, unless you happen to be a personal injury lawyer on contingency. But, um, but it's a tough career. It pays well, but it's a tough career and you make sacrifices. So I actually got recruited to my current position in 2016 when a recruiter called me about taking a, an in-house position with a big developer in Brevard County. Brevard County is the Melbourne Cocoa Beach area, and this particular company was the master developer for the Vieira Master Plan community. For those of you who don't know what a master plan community is, basically it's a big track of land where the developer goes in and they get approval from the county the appropriate state agencies that basically approves this development as a development of regional impact. And they basically give the developer the right to dictate what goes where in the community. So they have a certain amount of like entitlements basically that they say, okay, you can build this number of homes, this number of commercial buildings, this number of office buildings, things like that. And the developer basically puts a puzzle together to develop a town that's a master plan community. So that's what we have in Vieira. For those of you in South Florida, master plan communities down there are Parkland and Weston. For those of you who are familiar with other areas of Florida, you may have heard of the Villages or Lakewood Ranch. Lakewood Ranch is in um, like the Tampa, Sarasota area. And the Villages is more like North Florida, not all the way up to, uh, it's on the, the West Coast too. Anyway, they're a big thing in Florida and a lot of them uh, nationally as well. So I work with this developer now where we're building this Vieira master plan community. We go in, we develop the roads, we we develop a lot of homes, build a lot of homes in the community. We work into bringing the, the Walmarts and the Chick-fil-A's and the Publix grocery stores and the different things that you have in a, in a town. And uh, so that's what I do right now. And it's a pretty cool job, actually, because not only do I do the real estate transaction side, but I also get to work with our agriculture side because our parent company is a big agriculture company called Duda. And we are actually the largest producer of celery. It's called Dandy Celery. So when you're at the grocery store, make sure you buy Dandy Celery. And a whole lot of other crops like oranges and things like that. But I have to work with our ranch team because we do things where we have cows on there to keep the ag exemption or we develop sod and this and that. And so... 
it's kind of fun to work with them on the real estate side too because I just think it's pretty cool to be able to go and tour the ranch and hang out with the cowboys and stuff for a while. That's where I am right now, and I go back and forth between Central Florida and Miami. Brevard County is a complete 180 from Miami. It's more like Western Kentucky where I grew up. It's Bible Belt area. You know, a lot of a traditional southern town. It's got a, a mix of the beach people on like Cocoa Beach and Melbourne Beach and stuff like that. So very laid-back lifestyle. A lot of the flowery Hawaiian shirts and stuff, which I just can't bear to wear these flowery shirts. I, I just can't do it. So you won't see me in that. You got a fair number of rednecks here too. So a lot of pickup trucks, cowboy boots, and and we have our fair share of white trash. It just it is what it is. But you're gonna have that in any community. It's a pretty exciting job because we've got about 25 more years of development to go. So by that time, I'm gonna be about ready to retire. But uh, I work with a lot of good people. It's a good organization from top to bottom. So I really enjoy going to work most days, not not every day, but most days. But that being said, I have to do my things to live my dream. I, I have to do my things like going to the gym, you know, playing my softball, uh, setting aside my time for my Cardinal baseball games, my Kentucky basketball games. I, I have my son, Rodney, my child, my uh, nine-year-old bulldog that he not only is the co-host of this podcast, but he's my pride and joy. And so Rodney pretty much hangs out with me as much as I allow him. We're together a lot. We go on vacations together. If I go down to Miami, Rodney goes. If I go up to Kentucky to visit my family, Rodney's on the trip. Rodney has his own Jeep for his travels and stuff. We're very close. He is my best friend. He's the slogan, the man's best friend, definitely applies to Rodney and me. So I'm very protective of him. He doesn't go without anything that he might need, and he gets a lot of love and attention, and so we're very, very close. And I know that a lot of my friends share the same thing with, with their dogs, their their fur babies. So for me, you maybe ask, well, you're 42, you have a good career as a lawyer, but you know, you're single, why haven't you settled down? And in in Western Kentucky, it's kind of the mentality, or at least it was when I lived there, you know, a lot of my friends, they got married in their early to mid-20s, some maybe a little bit later, but usually like after college, for sure, people were settling down. And a lot of my friends have kids, and, and some of my friends now, they have college-age kids, or they have a lot of kids in high school now. I've kind of wondered, I'm like, you know, did I miss out on that? Because I know if I had children, I definitely would be a very involved parent. I uh, I do have two nephews. They live in Nashville, and so I really enjoy getting to visit with them, and I know that if I had children, I would be involved as the, the coach on the, the baseball team or the basketball team or, or whatever activities. I, I know I'd be a very involved parent, but I know, too, that you know, with my career as a lawyer, I've always been kind of consumed with that, and so one of the reasons I took the job I have now is to have more of a balanced life where I don't, I work, still work very hard, but I don't work the same hours I used to. And so I do have time to devote to things. But when it comes to dating, I'm very, very picky and probably to a fault. The attitude I have is, you know, I have a pretty good life right now. And so I'm only interested in dating some woman who lifts me up and makes my life better and brings that good energy and not somebody who's going to drag me down or 
look at me to fund a particular lifestyle. They have to come with a, a full package of benefits too because I'll tell you, I have no problem with my current life of going to the gym regularly, going and doing outdoor activities, hanging out with Rodney or doing all that. I mean, it's a pretty good life, and I, it's a life I consider living the dream. But that being said, there are also other ways to live the dream as well. And so my idea of living the dream is going to be different than your idea of living the dream. And that's okay because the only one who needs to be happy with your life is you. You don't need to focus on impressing people and making sure everybody likes you. I know we live in a in a society now where, especially on social media, I know people where it seems like their whole life uh, revolves around how many likes they get on their posts on Instagram or, or Facebook and this and that. I want to be well-liked, too. I, I don't know of anybody who wants to be hated, but at the end of the day, I'm at the point in my life now where I'm not going to please everybody. And it's just not going to happen. But I do what I think is right. I, I do what I think I can look in the mirror and say you did the right thing and be happy with. And, and that's what I do. And in this show, we're going to focus on things that um, I consider living my dream, which is going to be a lot of sports talk. We're going to talk wrestling a little bit, a lot of fun, exciting things, you know, outdoor activities and restaurant reviews, movie reviews, things like that. But I'm also going to have guests who come on this show, and they're going to talk about their career and business or what have you, but also mention how they live their dream. And hopefully it's something that's going to be motivational to our audience members and motivational to me, too, because, I mean, I'm always looking to improve. I mean, there's not anybody that's perfect and can't do anything that to make their life better. I think everyone's going to really enjoy the shows. I have some pretty exciting guests lined up. I know you're going to enjoy them just as much as I will enjoy them. So with all that said, I want to delve into a story that I, the best indicative story about how my life of living the dream got started. My bulldog is named Rodney after the comedian Rodney Dangerfield. And for those of you who don't know who Rodney Dangerfield is, I'm really, really sorry you don't know who this legend is. He was like one of the greatest comedians of all time. He was a huge comedian in the 80s. He was in Back to School in 1986 and, of course, Caddyshack in 1980 with Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. He was one of my favorite comedians. His whole um, comedy theme was no respect, that he got no respect because he would always do lines about how he was he was so ugly that his parents only carried around a photo of the kid that came with a wallet rather than him and you know things like that. I actually got to meet Rodney Dangerfield the summer of 2001 at a St. Louis Cardinal baseball game. I had tickets to go see the San Francisco Giants play the Cardinals that summer, and that was the year that Barry Bonds was on the team and uh, was battling for the home run record for a single season. And so I had tickets to go and sit in the bleachers with uh, three of my friends, and the friends had to back out at the last minute. So I ended up going to St. Louis. I traded those seats in the bleachers to a scalper, one seat behind home plate. And so I was watching batting practice, and all of a sudden I heard this loud man, and I'm like, I know I, I know that voice. And I looked, and it was Rodney Dangerfield, and he was a guest of the owners of the team that day, and he um, was there with his wife. And so we hit it off really well. I mean, I talked to him about being such a huge fan and loving him and Caddyshack and back to school, and, and he appreciated all that. So he asked where I was from. I said, well, I'm from this town called Paducah, Kentucky. And have you ever heard of it? And he said, no, no, where is it? 
And I said, well, it's about three hours from here. It's in western Kentucky, and it's a small town of about 30,000, 40,000 people. And he said, well, what's, what's there to do there? What's the fun stuff going on in Paducah? And I said, well, I mean, we're big into the like lakes and tourism, and it's family-oriented, so a lot of malls, or we have a one mall, a movie theater. But we're actually known for the National Quilt Museum, and he's like, oh, wow, that sounds really exciting. Uh, he's like, sign me up. I want to go to the Quilt Museum. You know, being sarcastic and all. And he said, well, what else is cool about Paducah? And I said, well, we have these two towns on each side of us. One's called Possum Trot, and the other is called Monkey's Eyebrow. And he's like, you're lying. There are no towns called Possum Trot or Monkey's Eyebrow. And I'm like, no, no, it's true. And this is before, like, smartphones, so I couldn't, like, pull it up on my phone and, and Google Possum Trot and Monkey's Eyebrow. So I was like, no, we have this shirt that says Paducah, Kentucky, halfway between Possum Trot and Monkey's Eyebrow. There's a possum on one side and a monkey on the other. Matter of fact, my family, we live just outside of Possum Trot, and we go to church in Possum Trot, and my uncle used to be the judge executive in the county where Monkey's Eyebrow is, and he was like, well, what do they have in Possum Trot? Possums? I'm like, well, we have that. We have a road. We have four Baptist churches, a Mormon church, a nursing home, a gas station, a grocery store, and a taxidermist, and he was like, well, that sounds like really exciting stuff, Wilson. He's like, well, you're going to have to give me that Possum Trot shirt. I'm like, yeah, I'll get it for you. And they sold it in two places. They sold it down at the True Value Hardware Store down in downtown Paducah, which wasn't too far from the law firm I interned with. And the gas station we had in Possum Trot was called the Possum Minute Mart. And so I stopped by there, and I got the Possum Minute Mart, and I got two shirts for Rodney, one for him and one for his wife. But anyway, we hit it off real well at the Cardinal game and everything. And he's like, so... Have you ever been out to California? And I was asking him about what it was like in Hollywood and stuff like that. And I said, no, I've never even been on a plane. And he said, well, you need to get out. You need to get out and you know enjoy the, the life more and all that stuff. He's like, I tell you what, if you want to come to, to Hollywood, just let me know and I'll set you up and everything. So anyway, I stayed in touch with Rodney. I sent that Possum Trot shirt first off and I got his phone number. And I called, and I guess it was a butler or some personal assistant answered the phone. I said, hi, is Rodney there? And he said, excuse me, who is this? And I said, well, my name is Ben Wilson. I met Rodney at the Cardinal game, the St. Louis Cardinal game a few weeks ago, and I promised him I was going to give him this Possum Trot shirt. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let me get Rodney for you just a second. And so Rodney got on the phone. He's like, Wilson, how are you? Great to hear from you. How are things in Possum Trot? I'm like, well, they're not too good, Rodney. They just closed our gas station, which is true. They, they closed the Possum Minute Mart, which is like a big deal at the time because it was a popular place to stop for gas, and they had really good breakfast sandwiches and things like that. So that was, I, that was really a big deal. So anyway, he was like, oh, man, that's really terrible. He's like, well, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm in law school. Uh, we started classes again up in Louisville. It's like, law school? He's like, really? He's like, well, are they teaching you to lie and steal and cheat there? And I said, no, no, no. They teach you that after law school. And he laughed. I said, well, how are things with you? And he's like, oh, I tell you, I'm all right now. But boy, I was in rough shape last week. Rough shape, rough shape. And he starts going into his comedy routine. And so, of course, I know I got to be the straight character and you know, give him the good lines and stuff for his jokes. So I'm like, well, well, what's wrong with you? And he's like, oh, I tell you, you know, I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I just get sick to my stomach, and I call the doctor. I said, doctor, what's wrong with me? And the doctor said, I don't know, but your eyesight's perfect. And he said, my wife, you know, there's nothing but trouble, nothing but trouble. And I said, well, what's she doing now? And 
he said, well, we got in this huge fight about taking out the garbage. And I'm like, well, why'd you get into a huge fight about that? And, you know, it's kind of the guy's job to take out the garbage. And he said, well, I told her, you cooked it, you take it out. And, and he said, and Wilson, it just gets worse. It gets worse. You know, I was in Las Vegas uh, last week doing a series of shows, and I called her, and I said, honey, I miss you. I can't wait to get home and see you. And, and she said, who is this? I was like, oh, that's pretty rough. And he's like, yeah, marriage is no no easy cake, Wilson. He's like, count your blessings, count your blessings. So anyway, he and I stayed in touch. So I planned to go out to visit him on my Christmas break from law school. And he had a medical issue come up. He actually had a heart attack. And he, I don't think it was caused by the thought of me coming out there or anything. It was just, you know, he had some health problems. Anyway, so I ended up going out there in my spring break. And so I flew from Louisville to Kansas City and then from Kansas City to L.A., and like I said, that was my first time on the plane before. And so it was a pretty wild ride because the woman I sat next to in Kansas City, she was a pretty big woman. She took up like half my seat. The flight attendant was really getting irritated because I couldn't buckle my seatbelt. And she's like, we can't start the plane unless you buckle up your seatbelt. You need to buckle it up right now. And I was like, well, I was going to look in there like, well, what am I supposed to do here? So anyway, this woman just said, look, lady. Leave him alone. He's wedged in here pretty tight. He's not going anywhere. So, but anyway, I, I did get the seatbelt buckled and we got off on the flight. But this woman, she was actually like pretty crude. I mean, it was like sitting next to a bigger version of Roseanne Barr. During the flight, I got up and went to the bathroom. And when I came back, they were serving the dinners. I looked and I didn't have a dinner on my tray. And so I looked at the flight attendant and I said, uh, excuse me, ma'am, but I, I don't have a meal. And she said, well, I put your meal there. I'm like, well, I don't see anything. And she said, what'd you order? And I said, I ordered the turkey and Swiss sandwich and fries. And she said, yeah, I put it on there. And I looked down, and that woman looked up. The woman sitting next to me looked up at me. And she smiled, and she had a little bit of turkey coming out of the corner of her mouth. And that woman had eaten my sandwich. I mean, I was furious. I'm like, you know, what am I going to do here? So I asked the flight attendant if there was any extra meal for me, and she said no. So I basically was stuck with eating, like, pretzels as my snack. So I hopped over. The lady got back into my seat. And then probably about 30 minutes later, she got up and went to the bathroom. And when she was back there, we had some turbulence, and I heard this big thud in the bathroom. I was like, what was that? And so then the flight attendants were going back to see what had happened, and then all of a sudden... They were pulling this woman out because she got stuck in the bathroom. I mean, they were pulling pretty hard. So anyway, they finally got her out, and she came down and plopped next to me. And I couldn't help it, but since she had been kind of rude to me, and especially since she'd eaten my food, I said, you know what? That might not have happened if you hadn't eaten my sandwich. And she flipped me off. So anyway, the rest of the flight was all right. We didn't say anything to each other, but I finally got to the... LAX airport in Los Angeles. So I got called for a driver and uh, went over to Rodney's place. And so I got to be greeted by Rodney that night. He was the host. He answered the door in his bathrobe and slippers, which I thought was pretty funny. And so that evening we ate pizza and we watched Caddyshack and the, the classic movie Blazing Saddles from Mel Brooks, which is one of my personal favorite movies. So that week he would be like a host for me. I mean, I had my own separate place and everything. So he arranged to go to the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and I got to meet Jay. That week, Jay hosted a fundraiser at his house, and so I got to see like all of his fancy cars and met some celebrities there like Jim Carrey 
and I got to meet Pamela Anderson, which I was thrilled to meet Pamela Anderson because, you know, back in 2000, let's see, that would be 2002. I mean, she was still a pretty big deal. So, you know, as a guy, I was pretty excited to meet her and she was pretty nice. Got to do a lot of different things in L.A., like go to the Hollywood studios and I got to see the Walk of Fame and Rodney had his star there. And I got to go to a Laker game, which I was excited about that. So we always had some type of activity we would do every day. So one night we were eating dinner at this restaurant. And I, I said to Rodney, so what are we going to do tonight? And he's like, well, don't worry about it, Wilson. Don't worry about it. I'm like, well, you're going to tell me where we're going to go? And he's like, no, if I did, you wouldn't go. I'm like, well, I have to go. You're my ride. And he's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So anyway, so we finished the meal. His wife was with us. We finished the meal got in the car, and we were just driving. We came up to this huge house, and there were a bunch of cars out front and everything. And I'm like, well, where, where is this place? And he's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're just going to a party. And I'm like, okay. So then I see this house with the gate and bunny symbols in the front, and so I know we're going to the Playboy Mansion. So I didn't mind to go up to the Playboy Mansion, but at the time, I was a Sunday school teacher at a, a church I was going to in Louisville, and this was back in the day when they had Wild on E from the Playboy Mansion, and I was like, well, you know, Rodney, what if I get caught on camera here at the Playboy Mansion? I could get in, and I'm on Wild on E. I could get in huge trouble at the church if I get seen. And he's like, Wilson, if you're in a kind of Sunday school teacher at all, those kids and their parents won't be watching. So let's go to the Playboy Mansion. Come on, let's go. So anyway, I, Rodney technically had a point there. So I went, we walked in, he basically introduced me as his grandson, and he said, Hey, girls, this is my grandson, Ben. He's from Possum Trot, Kentucky. He's never seen anything like this. I want you to take him around and show him a good time. So they dragged me away. They were basically my host for the, the evening, and they gave me the tour of the Playboy Mansion and all that stuff, and it's a rather interesting place. And the, the party was a St. Patrick's Day party, and so it was a huge, huge party going on in there. I mean, lots of different celebrities and things, so I, I really enjoyed being able to talk to the celebrities. And I finally got to meet Hugh Hefner, and so he said, So, how'd you like the Playboy mention? I understand you're a friend of Rodney's. And I said, Well, it was great. And he's like, well, Where is Rodney? And I was like, I have no idea where he is. I, I haven't seen him in like two hours. Hugh Hefner was like, so did you make out with any of the models while you were here? I was like, no. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, first off, I, if I did, I figured some bouncer would throw me out. And I don't know where Rodney is right now, and I, I wouldn't have a ride. I said, and honestly, I couldn't help but something, uh, think of something my grandmother told me when I was a kid playing out in the backyard, like with sticks and stuff. And he said, well, what was that? And I said, she used to tell me, don't touch that. You don't know where it's been. And he laughed. And he was like, you know what? Your grandmother has a point there. So anyway, that was the story of me going to uh, L.A. and getting to visit Rodney Dangerfield. That definitely qualified as living the dream in my book. So I've told that story to a lot of friends, and a lot of people like to hear the story. I did stay in touch with uh, Rodney after the visit, and he unfortunately passed away in 2004. I think it was, I think it was September of 2004, maybe October, but he had had some heart problems for a while, eventually passed away. But I always enjoyed the opportunity to meet him, and you know he was very generous when he didn't have to be. He was a really good comedian, and you should definitely check out some of his stand-up stuff on YouTube, especially when he's on Johnny Carson, because he was really one of the the greats of comedy, and he started like the HBO specials and had uh, young comedians on there like 
Jerry Seinfeld and Jeff Foxworthy and Sam Kinison, Tim Allen, and the young comedians of the 80s at least, and Jay Leno. And it really helped propel those comedians to stardom, and a lot of them had a lot of big, big-time respect for Rodney. For me, comedy is a really important thing in my life. I really enjoy it. Growing up, we were, in my house, we were big fans of Saturday Night Live. We were really big fans of John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and the Blues Brothers. Of course, when they were on Saturday Night Live, I had, I had just been born, so I really wasn't watching Saturday Night Live in the late 70s because I was a, a, a child in bed. Growing up, we... We watched the Blues Brothers back in the late 80s. I think like in 1988, they started the reruns of Saturday Night Live from the the beginning. And so we got to see those reruns with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, Gene Curtin, Lorraine Newman, and Garrett Morris. They had the great hosts back in the time too, like Steve Martin. He was a regular host and he was really funny. So growing up in the 80s, our favorite actors were folks from Saturday Night Live, and we enjoyed their movies like, I mentioned the Blues Brothers with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, but of course Animal House is one of my favorite movies of all time. Matter of fact, I have a a poster of John Belushi in the college shirt from Animal House over my bathroom toilet, so he's still a big inspiration to me from a comedy standpoint. And of course, we love Bill Murray's movies like Ghostbusters and and Stripes and uh, What About Bob? Groundhog Day, oh, Groundhog Day was a good one. So a lot of those great movies of the 80s came from those comedians. that We loved um, Chevy Chase, of course, and the Vacation movies, and he was in Caddyshack with Bill Murray and Rodney Dangerfield. And even though John Candy wasn't a part of Saturday Night Live, he was a favorite of mine too, so I loved him like an Uncle Buck and The Great Outdoors, and he was fantastic in Stripes too. So I always enjoyed that, and as I got older, I started watching more Saturday Night Live, and you had people at that time like Dana Carvey and Kevin Neal and Phil Hartman. Once I became a teenager, my favorite comedian on um, Saturday Night Live was Chris Farley, and I always enjoyed watching him because he made me laugh the most. He was a huge inspiration in, in my life, and matter of fact, he and John Belushi are my favorite comedians. Well, them and, and Rodney, I think uh, they were great. You know, Farley and uh, John Belushi were actually very influential in my life just from a lifestyle standpoint as well because both of those guys died at 33 years old from drug overdoses. And it was something that, you know, was unfortunate with their life. But I remember my mom always telling me, you know, you never want to get into drugs because look what happened to, to John Belushi and you don't want to end up happen, that happening to you. So that was always a something I kept in my mind. And so I've never been involved in drugs or you know alcohol problems or anything like that it's due to folks like John Belushi and Chris Farley Chris Farley was such a great comedian I loved him as um, in the Chippendale skit with Patrick Swayze I think that was the funniest Saturday Night Live skit of all time in my opinion I also loved him in the movie Tommy Boy that was a really influential movie um, back when I was in college I mean a lot of my guy friends and stuff that was uh, that was the favorite movie of everybody. A lot of people quote Chris Farley lines from Tommy Boy and stuff like that. But he's also known for a character called Matt Foley, the motivational speaker. I really, really love that character. And in my uh, 11th grade year, we had to do a creative writing project for my Honors English class. Honors English that year focused on American literature. So we would focus on people like, like back in the 1800s like Mark Twain and 
just going through the American writers, and, and I really enjoyed all, all of that. But for the creative writing project, you had to do something that was you know fun and interesting and kind of outside the box. And so I wanted to write a skit based on uh, Chris Farley as Matt Foley, the motivational speaker. What I did is I focused it on a situation where that year in that honors English class, we had a big final exam coming up, and there was an urban legend going around the school that our teacher, Miss Royland Lawrence, had the same test over and over, and she just never changed the exam, and that there was an answer key that was like floating around. Some of the people in my classes got it, and they were distributing it around and this and that, and I mean, they were charging for it. It was like, I think they charged like two dollars or something like that so a lot of people were getting it and studying that and not really were focusing on the class notes and everything because they're like well you know if this is a test i'm just going to study the test so i got a copy too because i'm not going to be an idiot and not study it but i also studied my notes from class because i'm like well what if this is a trick or something so when we got into that exam it was a different test and so a lot of people were kind of freaking out during the exam i mean i wasn't really worried about it because I, I knew that material really, really well. But there were a lot of people, like I said, that were really worried about it. And people were talking about it after class and things like that. So when the grades came back, Miss Lawrence, I mean, she basically told the class that she knew that a lot of people had not studied like they should have and they only studied this fake exam. And she admitted that it was a fake exam that she planted basically as a gag for people. And so there was this one girl, and she was like, well, how'd you know that we cheated and stuff? And Miss Lawrence was like, she was just furious about it. But she didn't give a, a retake. She made that test count toward people's grades and stuff, and she was just really disappointed with the class. And so I wrote my Matt Foley skit as if he was brought in by Miss Lawrence to be the motivational speaker to the class and help get everyone back on the right track after uh, cheating on that exam. I wrote that, and I got an A on it. It was really uh, well-received, and so I found it recently. You know, I was really excited about it because I read it, and it was pretty funny. So I'm going to basically take a quick break here, get organized, and then I'm going to read you my Matt Foley, the motivational speaker sketch. So the skit's going to begin with Miss Lawrence confronting the honors English class and basically scolding them because she knows that a lot of people studied the fake answer key that she had floating around. The characters in this skit are going to be Miss Lawrence, the teacher, Matt Foley, the motivational speaker that she brings in, and three students that Matt's going to confront and try to help motivate to get back on the right track. I hope you enjoy the skit. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to read after um, all these years. It's, this skit was actually written 25 years ago. I know I enjoyed reading it, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. So here we go. Good morning, class. Hope everyone had a good weekend. I know I did. I regrade your final exams, and let me tell you, we had some pretty lousy scores in this exam. And you want to know why? It's because I know a lot of you guys studied that fake answer key that I had floating around the school. Oh, you thought I didn't know about that? Well, I did. I've planted that for the past 25 years, and it works every year to see who is real and who's legit in this class. And several of you failed. Now... I'm going to let these grades count toward your six weeks exam, and you're not going to get a do-over because that's how life is. If you decide to cut corners, you have to pay the consequences. So 
to get help you guys get back on the right track because I believe in your potential. After all, this is an honors English class, the brightest minds in Marshall County High School. I brought in a motivational speaker. What's a motivational speaker, you ask? Well, you're, usually there are these pretty famous people who speak to big groups like churches and big high schools like ours, and they help motivate people to do the best job that they can. Well, I got a referral from a friend of mine for this guy who's actually on a national tour of juvenile detention centers, and he just happened to be in Marshall County this week speaking at the Kentucky Boys Ranch in Gilbertsville, and he was able to come over and speak to you guys today. His name is Matt Foley, and he is a motivational speaker. He actually showed up pretty early, so we had to put him to work in the cafeteria helping the cooks prepare lunch today. And he spent the past two hours in the teacher's lounge with Mr. Bolton, drinking coffee, talking about Bob Dylan, and doing a bunch of cartwheels. So I want everyone to pay attention, be on your best behavior, because Matt's here to help you guys get back on the right track. Oh, Matt, we're ready for you. So then Matt Foley comes in. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, as your teacher probably told you, my name is Matt Foley, and I am a motivational speaker. Before we begin, I want to give you folks a little bit of insight of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. So I understand from your teacher that a lot of you guys cheated on your last final exam. So I see where you guys are. You're 16, 17 years old. You're honor students. And you think you got the world under your fingertip and everything under your control. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you don't stop cutting corners, you're going to find yourself living in a van down by the river. Now, young lady, I understand that you were the ringleader in this cheating operation. Why'd you do it? Well, Matt, to be honest with you, I don't think I should have to study very hard at all. I'm pretty, and I should get whatever I want. Well, seems like somebody has a bit of an attitude here. Now, listen up, Missy. With that kind of an attitude, you're destined for a 25-year career as a Hooters waitress. And then when you turn mid-40s, you're going to find yourself working as a lot lizard down at a truck stop. Now, young man, what do you want to do with your life? Well, Matt, I want to have a great job, make a whole lot of money, and marry a smoking hot girl with huge boobs and a really nice butt. Well, son, Matt, applaud your goal. But if you don't get back on the right track, you're going to find yourself working some dead-end job, making a slightly over minimum wage, racking up $1,000 of credit card debt on 1-900-HOT-BABE numbers, and living in a van down by the river. Now, young lady, what do you want to do with your life? Well, Matt, to be honest with you, I just want to graduate high school, find the man of my dreams, fall madly in love, and spend my summer's living in a van down by the river, watching Kentucky Wildcat basketball games and St. Louis Cardinal baseball games. Well, I gotta tell you, I like your style. Are you over 18? Well, if you are, here's my car. Why don't you give me a call sometime? I have a pretty nice van down by the river, too. It even has air conditioning. Mr. Foley, I didn't bring you to my class to badmouth my students and proposition them. Would you please get back on the right track? All right, all right. Well, 
The bottom line here is this is an honors English class, and everybody has the brains to be a big success. But if you keep cutting corners and trying to do things the cheating way, you're not going to amount to jack squat. Instead, you're going to find yourself with a steady diet of baked beans and Hormel chili and living in a van down by the river. And that concludes the presentation of Matt Foley, the motivational speaker. I didn't want to do it too loud from the Matt Foley perspective just because I didn't want my neighbors in the condo to think I'm insane. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it. The Matt Foley character actually was written by a comedic writer named Bob Odenkirk. He was a writer on... Second City, which is a comedy improv troupe based in Chicago and Toronto that is a training ground for many of the famous comedians that have been on Saturday Night Live, such as John Belushi, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, obviously Chris Farley, Mike Myers, Steve Carell, and, and others. Bob Odenkirk started it. He wrote it for Chris Farley. Matt Foley actually comes from a friend of Farley's who uh, is a priest, and then they um, brought it to Saturday Night Live in 1993, and it was a big, big success and uh, one of my favorite characters. I noticed that our show is getting a little long here. Normally my shows are going to be in the 30 to 45 minute range. This one was a little bit longer since it was the first show. Kind of had to go through some background information about me. But I hope you enjoy the show. I really think you're going to enjoy the Live in the Dream. We're going to have a lot of fun together, have a lot of motivational talks and inspiration to help you live that dream that you've always wanted. Have a great day, and we'll talk next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.